0: My name is Tim West and my wife Johanna and I have been members here for about the last five years and it's been amazing to witness the faithfulness and the generosity of our church body during the Make Him Known campaign. And I have to admit when it kicked off a few years ago, I was somewhat skeptical that we'd get the commitment from a church of our size to make it work. But boy, was I wrong. The maker of heaven and earth has proven to me that he can make himself known, but he really wants us to participate in the effort and to be generous with the resources he has provided. From the start, Johanna and I had uh, decided that we wanted to be more thoughtful, more consistent, and more generous with their giving than we had been in the past. And we set a specific target amount that we wanted to contribute over the two years. But we knew this would be a challenge, especially in light of our daughter was finishing her last semester at Cedarville, so we had tuition to pay for, and she was planning to get married after graduation. So two huge bills that we knew would arrive during year one of Make Him Known. To make the math work, we put together a plan to donate a little over our regular giving each month during the first year, and then double our giving after Megan's wedding. This enabled us to meet our target contribution last month right on schedule. We know that much has changed over the Make Him Known campaign. The size of our church family has grown considerably, as has the monthly giving, but so too has the cost of the project. And knowing that mortgage interest rates are unusually high right now and frankly return on investments isn't that great, Johanna and I have decided to do something a bit uh, unconventional. We're gonna make a withdrawal from one of our personal investments so that we can contribute our entire 2024 tithe upfront on the Finish Strong Sunday. That's how we're gonna do our part to pay down the church mortgage and to advance UBC's ongoing mercies and missions ministry. One thing I really like about UBC is not uh, just our willingness to give of our financial blessings, but also to give of ourselves and our time. Making him known isn't just about opening our wallets, and to that end, I recently had the opportunity to travel to Bangladesh with my friends Jim Corbin and Glenn Durer to see firsthand how God is using UBC's generosity to help make himself known in a predominantly Muslim nation. Even in that environment where our fellow believers are seeing various degrees of persecution, UBC support is making a difference for the cause of Christ. I pray that the UBC body will continue to give of its time and money and other resources to glorify Christ by knowing him and making him known.
1: Grateful for uh, Tim. If you know Tim, you know uh, kind of the genuineness of his heart um, in terms of the way he lives and he interacts with all of us. So grateful for that encouragement from him through that. And I just want to use this as a, a time to remind you what Jason's been saying all month, which is, you know, we're finishing our two-year Make Him Known campaign. Uh, we're, we're finishing that uh, right now, and next Sunday is our big, or our Finish Strong Sunday. Excuse me. So next Sunday is kind of when we're asking everybody to kind of push toward finishing that out. Um, and uh, we have been blown away by what God has done already. Uh, it's been far and above what we could have ever imagined. But at the same time, uh, we're excited to see what He still wants to do. So we just want to encourage you to pray and think through what that means for you and/or your family uh, as we head into the next uh, Finish Strong Sunday next Sunday. Uh, this morning, uh, as you know, we've been in a mercy series over this last month uh, where we've been hitting different areas where God has called His people to display His mercy, uh, and so you've seen that throughout this month, and today I get the pleasure of intri- introducing to you today's uh, guest speaker. I call him a guest speaker, even though he's one of our own. Uh, this is Pastor John Heading. Uh, John Heading uh, has been a member here for a uh, a few months now, four or five months, something like that so far. But John has been a pastor, lead pastor for 20 to 30 years well before this. Uh, and he currently serves as the director of Ohio's disaster relief program. Uh, and they work alongside the SBC's SEND relief efforts. And so John has a whole lot of experience uh, in terms of the way mercy is displayed when it comes to refugees. So John is gonna be coming uh, and sharing that with us this morning. And I told him earlier this morning that I was gonna introduce him as Becca's dad because a lot of you know his daughter Becca as one of our singers here at church. And she's never gotten that opportunity to be uh, have him introduced as Becca's dad instead of her being John's daughter. So if you guys would welcome Becca's dad this morning.
2: Thank you. I am, I'm good with that. Rebecca's Dan. Well, welcome. I uh, appreciate being able to be here today. Eventually, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. We'll get to there eventually. Um, so I know family day, kids are in the room, right? Kids? All right. So here's the question, kids. There are several questions we want to ask you today. I want you to yell your answer out loud. Okay? So instead of writing on the connect cards, look this way. What was... Your favorite? No, don't answer yet. Just think first. Your favorite thing you ate over Thanksgiving? Favorite thing you ate over Thanksgiving? Ready? On three. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, yell it out. One, two, three. Go. Okay, okay. Then they say pie. I love carbs. I live on carbs. I love it. Yeah. So you got to make a choice. of what you eat, typically, how much you eat. Uh, On vacation one time, we let our our boys, we went to a buffet, and we said, knock yourself out. We didn't have anything to say. They ate all they wanted to. They did suicide with the Coke machine, and then after in the parking lot, they gave it all back. You know, so sometimes we make bad choices. Sometimes we make good choices. But uh, what we're going to look at today, when you are a refugee, a lot of your choices are taken from you. If you end up being in a refugee camp, you're told where to sleep, when to get up, when to go to bed, what to eat, you know, where to eat, and all those kinds of things. A lot of your choices uh, are gone. Um, this last week, we had a chance to interact with an individual in uh, Maui with the Lahaina fires. We'll come back to that. But he said, "You know, I've lived my life as a professional man making all my own choices. Now I'm searching through this box of clothes trying to find a clean pair of underwear. He said, this is what my life is right now. And he had no idea. We are a very best blessed people, and like that, that could be us. And we don't realize it sometimes. We've had refugees that have been around, and we're going to talk about those in description in just a few moments for a very long time. I want to share just a, a brief beginning story with one of a church in Dodovsk, Russia. This church, under communism, were not allowed to meet, but they met anyway, they met in a house. And uh, boy, did they pack them in tight. The service that we were there, uh, it was two by six in cinder blocks, and it was a Baptist church so filled up from the back to the front. And so we all sat together. You had to touch. There's no space for your purse or your coat. You had to touch knees to backs until they filled the room. That church loved Jesus, and they worshiped, and the government got tired of it. They arrested them all one Sunday, put them all on a train car, and literally sent them to Siberia. They stopped in the middle of nowhere, opened the doors, and threw them out. The only reason I know this story is because one of the ladies who was in that and did that was conveying that to us one night. And they were just dumped out into snow. And they said, let's see what your God does for you now. They decided, you know what, we need to have a place to sleep. We need food, so you guys go find us food. You guys, let's start to put together some for us to sleep under. And they set out to create for themselves some place to be able to live. But they always gathered for worship. They sent me a picture of these people literally standing in snow up to their knees singing praises to the Lord and they have lost everything. A few months later government officials came back, to. hopefully they were all dead, and they were thriving so well it made them mad. They put them back on the train and sent them home and dumped them back off where they were. Their God provided, and our God provides, and what provided eventually was once communism fell in Russia They set out to build themselves a church building. Um, And in 1999 through Ohio, Southern Baptist Disaster Relief and Baptist Builders, we were a part of building them this. The picture should come up, that church right there. And so um, they did the brickwork. We did all the framing and raised all that stuff. So there were teams from a variety of places around the country and around Europe. And the very first Sunday for dedication service, uh, this (laughs) kind of similar. This room would seat 650 and dedication service had 950. God does provide. Provides when we need it, where we need it. It may not always be the way we think, but just because of refugees doesn't mean God still doesn't provide for them. When we look at the definition of refugee, there are several different things for us to look at. Different governments and different agencies defined a little differently. Uh, I know there is a move by several agencies wanting to change it. Uh, For example, uh, officially, uh, being a a refugee from a disaster is not part of our federal guidelines, but yet the um, United Nations Office for Disaster Risk Prevention is really pushing to change that. Places like Africa, because of severe drought, they have to leave. Their life is at stake. And they're trying to encourage and have some of those definitions in there as well. So if we put these all together, we come up with this definition. A refugee is someone who has been forced to flee their home area because of persecution, war, violence, or disaster. Forced to flee for a variety of reasons. This definition initially came in 1951 from a document called United Nations Document, the convention related to the status of refugees that really dealt only with refugees from World War II. Later in 1967, the UN expanded it to have the planet cover all the areas of refugees. And if you sign this document, there are 147 nations, including the United States. There are things that you agree to. You agree that you will not force them to go back to the country where their life is in danger. You give them the opportunity to work. You give them opportunity to have access to social services. That's why you're going to run into people and see people who are not at this point, citizens of the United States yet, but still do all those things because of this document, because of their refugee status. There are those who come into the country that don't have that status yet, and so they are asylum seekers. They're seeking that asylum, and so they go and they apply, and in the process, they're giving that court date so they're allowed then to do these other things. And that's where some of that comes from. It started back at that time and continues even to, till now. So, why does this matter? It matters because there are way more refugees and people displaced than we ever thought. There's one graphic that we have, and hopefully it's clear. Um, that Yellow graphic, let's see. This was, as of two weeks ago, 110 million displaced people on this planet right now. Displaced. 62.5 million internally displaced people. That means people who are displaced within their own country. So for example, uh, those who live in eastern Ukraine, when they left to go to western Ukraine, to like cities like Lviv and some of those over towards Poland and Hungary, they will be considered IDPs or internally displaced people. We find in, uh, in Gaza and in Israel, they're being displaced from Gaza from the north to the south, from Israel away from the war into other places. So we find IDPs. We find uh, 36.4 million are official refugees that have been given that status. Another 6.1 asylum seekers and 5.3 who need protections. I-, I looked just this morning, and these numbers have now been updated as of yesterday to 117 million. People displaced on this planet just in the last two weeks. INHCR website and uh, the World Bank put these statistics together and they published those. These are the numbers that they have as of right now. Let's put this in comparison. The population of the United States is roughly 330 million. So this would be basically a third of our country being displaced. That's a lot of people that have nowhere to go. In Gaza, I mentioned a little bit ago, there are 1.5 million as of two weeks ago that were displaced, 725,000 living in shelters, 149,000 living in what they call UNRWA facilities, 122,000 plus in hospitals and churches and public places and other schools, anywhere they can go to try to find shelter and be involved. But here's the problem. When you have communal living of this size without proper uh, hygiene, proper toilet facilities, proper cooking facilities. You then have uh, disease that runs through some of these camps. You have violence because they don't have stuff, so they're going to come and steal and do all those kinds of things. And so it's not necessarily a safe place to be, but it's the only place to be. I know there's an individual who lives in this town, was part of our, our last church, that was telling me that he, they had to leave their country because his life was in danger only because he was a Christian. So he came to the United States, his wife, and the children went to another place in Europe. And they found a tent camp there. The mom could not go file paperwork. She couldn't go get a job because you couldn't leave the kids alone in the tent camp because of the violence and the crime. She finally found a way to watch the kids but she was able to do that. The husband has his status and he's, he's been waiting for years for his hearing that once he gets status, official refugee status, then he can bring his family over. Hasn't been able to do that. Most of these large number of displaced people are women and children. If it's a war, most of the men are compelled to stay and fight. When the war in Ukraine started, I remember the flight when we went over to Poland, there were, I think we counted 15 Ukrainian Americans who were flying back to Ukraine to fight for their country. When we look at other things that are taking place now, we look at places, uh, e- even in our own country, uh, in Maui, some of you know the fire in Lahaina um, on August the 8th, uh, basically the town burned down, uh, 2,700 homes were burned to the ground. Uh, there's six of us from Ohio disaster just got back from there. How do we help? This is one of the houses uh, that we had a chance to assist the, the daughter who came back for this because the home is now in her name. The question was, is there anything that survived? So our, our responsibility with folks who are displaced was uh, trauma cu- crisis care as a chaplain. That was my role, to be with the homeowner, anybody who survived and kind of walk them through the process. And there's anything we can find for you to keep. There are people outside of Lahaina where they set up a tent camp. It's the same as any refugee camp that they're living in. People who are living on the beach. And you might think, hey, that's not a bad deal. Um, but living on a beach with no food, no water, no restrooms, I was shocked to know the price of what it cost to live in Maui. A small, it was like 800 square feet. A good deal was $2,000 a month plus utilities. That's a lot of money for rent. This particular house, we didn't find anything usable except uh, I was shoveling off the sidewalk that went from the house and I flipped over and saw some papers and they were the coroner tags to where her father had died during the fire. So I called her over and said, I found these tags. She said, that's all I needed to know. I wanted to know where did daddy die? He died right there. I'm okay. She came back every day to that spot and talked to her dad. Had a chance to share with her a little bit, a little bit of what it means to to know Christ and and those kinds of things. And she really wasn't interested in the the conversation. But by the time it was over, she was willing to take a Bible from us. um, And hopefully that God uses that and that will return. We look at some of these circumstances, we look at places they are there is a need for us to take care of sojourners and refugees. So uh the second thing is what does scripture have to say? We're gonna take a, a quick run through uh, a variety of Old Testament passages. But kids, here's your next question. You ready? In the New Testament, who is the most famous refugee? Think about it for a second. Ask your mom if you need to. You ready? One, two, three. Jesus. Heard it right there. Hey, come here for a second. Come here. No, come here. I got something for you. No, the girl right there, I'm pointing at her. You, yeah, come here. You get the only disaster leaf teddy bear. I only have one. It's yours. Good oh. answer. I thought I had a case of them, but I only had one. Sorry. Now, The reason that's important is, have you ever thought about Jesus as a refugee before? Let's read the scripture. Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 15. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And they rose and went to Egypt. That's a refugee. Forced out for his life's sake. And it was... God's plan for him at this time. God has a plan. Now let's walk through Old Testament just a little bit, and it's important to understand what is the heart of God when it comes to sojourners. The word refugee does not appear in Scripture, but you're going to see from these Scripture verses that the word sojourner, and sometimes the word stranger, is that same type of indication understanding this. So some of the Scriptures are going to go through. Uh, Exodus 23 verse 9, he says, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Israel, they were refugees, and more than once. The next one, Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the... Sojourner, I am the Lord your God. Now we covered that verse a few weeks ago, Pastor Jason covered that, but that is the same understanding. Leviticus nineteen, verses thirty three and thirty four. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you should not do you should not do him harm. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And if we didn't get that one, Deuteronomy chapter 10, 18 and 19, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Have we got the point yet? Through scripture, we see that God has a heart for those who sojourn, who who are many times forced out of their home place, and, and that's where they have to go. Now understand that some of the modern day definitions, if they stay within their own country, they're IDPs, if they leave their country, then they're refugees, but all these fall under the same category of being displaced. Let's look at Matthew 25 now, verses 35 to 40. I did some research and and talked and looked at different organizations that do this. The vast majority come to this section of scripture. Now, if you know this part of scripture, you might say, yeah, but this scripture really is more about judgment than anything else. That's not why we're looking at this. We're looking at this for what is the heart of God. And that's another understanding we have from this New Testament passage. This is not the only passage, but the one that we're going to camp on for the next few minutes. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40, here's the key here. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these my brothers, you did it for me. As you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. Essentially, this scripture is teaching us that how we treat the sojourner is how we feel and what we feel about Jesus. Now you need to think about that for a second. How we treat the sojourner, the refugee, the stranger is how we feel about Jesus. Because what he says here, as I serve you, we're actually serving Jesus. Now, sometimes our humanity gets in the way, right? Sometimes the humanity says, yeah, I did this, and they just weren't grateful. We do that. If you've been involved in uh, compassion ministry very long, if you're doing a feeding ministry, if you're doing, and we have to catch ourselves from time to time. We've had circumstances uh, of doing food to individuals don't have any, and their answer is, well, I don't like that. Can I come back there and pick something else out? And I understand where that's coming from, but, and we have to show compassion, but them being grateful is not a contingent of us serving. We serve because as we serve, as we serve the sojourner and a refugee, we are serving Christ. Now, essentially, y'all are just looking at me like, what is wrong with you? Lots of things. But, <laughs> so let me ask you this. How, just be honest. How many of you like to be told from time to time, thank you? Anybody besides me, every once in a while, yeah, our humanity says, I I, want to know that I, and some of this, I want to know that I'm doing the right thing, I just, it's not so much the feeling grateful, but becomes like a confirmation, especially as it comes from nowhere. Now, here's the part that um, continues to be amazing, and that is folks who become refugees and sojourners, many that we've encountered are content in Christ even though they don't have anything. You know that? You know, And here on, on the mainland, we are really concerned about our stuff, right? Listen, I got a secret for you. Your kids don't want your stuff. I don't want my mom's stuff. Love you, mom. She's right there. I don't want her stuff. My kids don't want my stuff, and we think my stuff is so important, and it might be important to us, but what would life be like if you lost it all? You had to leave. Right now, you had to go, and all you had is what you have. That's it. What's amazing to me, in many of these circumstances, there's just that one thing that people really miss. People wanted to know, I just I couldn't find my wedding ring when we left, or we left so quickly that I really couldn't take anything. So they, you grab your kids, you grab a few things, and you go. There are circumstances that people on this planet have to leave like that. And it's not about the stuff. It's about people. Hebrews chapter 13, the first two verses says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now we've seen that verse as many times if you've been in church. And I wonder sometimes exactly what does that mean? Why would God do that? Uh, Bryant Wright, who's president of Send Relief, said in a message some years ago. He said, "The angel may be there to reveal what you think about Jesus. That's a possibility. God it may put that angel in your way. Am I going to minister to this refugee sojourner, or am I not? If we believe the rest of the Scripture is true, how I treat them is indicative of what I believe about Jesus." maybe it is maybe it isn't but it's a, i think it's an opportunity for us to start to think about why would god do this and it's not like we all have to do everything right we feel like sometimes you know we talk about doing all these things and i just have to do all of them and that's really not the case as a church corporately we can be involved in a lot of things individually god will put us in places where he wants us to be and some people are going to do refugee ministry some people are going to do children's ministry some people are going to do like youth ministry Bless your hearts. <laughs> I had somebody from time to time say, I need to be involved in church somewhere, and if I you guys youth ministry, eh, I'll give it a try. In the last two weeks, God is not in that for me. And you know that sometimes, right? It's not that we have to do everything, but what does God put on you? What is he opening the door to put you into? So how do we respond? There's several ways we can do that. Number one, uh, Galatians 5.14 keeps coming to mind that we need to, number one, love your neighbor. We need to love your neighbor. I've noticed in many places around the world where we go that... um, neighborhoods in other parts of the world, they they know their neighbors. And we used to be that way as a country. We used to know our neighbors. We used to do things for our neighbors. And it seems like so much anymore that a a lot of us have become very siloed as we live our lives. I know me, but I don't know this neighbor. I don't know this neighbor. I don't know this neighbor. But yet, is that not one of our first mission fields where we live? A great opportunity to reach out and it's not just my neighbors in on my street, but we need to show love to people that we come in contact with. And one of the other things we have trouble with from time as, as well-meaning Christians is well, I don't want to do this for them. I don't want to give them money because they may buy something I don't want them to buy. What do I do if they're ripping me off? Can we just agree that God is a big God? And none of this surprises him. Our responsibility is to be faithful. God will take care of the rest truly well, We must be faithful. We need to love our neighbor. Number two, we need to pray. All right. How many of you are list makers? Let's see those hands. All right. I am too. I promise you, if you've got more than three things on your list, you're not going to get it done today. You're just not. We make a list to make a list. And the last thing on that list is make a new list tomorrow. We got to pick one or two things get it done. We need to write down, if we're gonna pray for somebody for something, we need to write it down. I've tried to encourage our kids as they were growing up, if somebody says, hey, would you pray for, if you say yes, offer to pray for them at that moment. I remember one time, we were at a neighbor's house across the street, the boys were little, and they offered a prayer request, and one of the boys just drops to their knees. I'm thinking, well, we did the right thing, but I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> right, I mean, that's just being honest. Write it down, because so I promise you, you're going to forget it. The devil doesn't want you to remember it. We need to pray, but we need to jot it down. We give. We give financially. There are things that we do within the life of the church, things we do to organizations. Uh, what we're going to do coming up as, as a church as a whole, we'll go to help financially with a number of these groups, like with Send Relief and the things I'll share with you in a few moments, a lot of what they can do is financially uh, supporting those within these countries dealing with refugees where we cannot go. There are opportunities that we cannot go because the State Department doesn't want us to go there, so we're not able to go. The fourth thing is you need to, we need to get involved. You may say, I'm just busy. We could start a club. Everybody's just busy, right? <laughs> All right. Let me ask you this question then, because this really has been bugging me personally. Does any of your cell phones give you a report of how much time you spent on your phone last week? I got mine the other day. I'm thinking, "Hey, no way. It said I spend five hours a day on my phone. Now, I don't know that many people. Y'all are already here. But we like to play games on our phone. We talk on our phone. And I have two phones. Live on them both. And we look at those kinds of things and think, you know what? Where am I spending my time? Where do I need to physically get involved with what God has put in front of me to do? For us, we are Southern Baptist Church. We're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Let me just give you a glimpse of how we're together as all Southern Baptist Church. This first slide, the Southern Baptist Convention starts with the local church. It is about the local church. We have our state convention. We have the International Mission Board. What do they do? Somebody help me. They send what? Missionaries outside of North America. Little known fact, International Mission Board is the only, to my knowledge, the only international mission-sending organization where missionaries do not have to raise their own support. Our cooperative program pays for them to do everything that they do. Their salary, where to live, health insurance, everything. North American Mission Board is here. They got together just a few years ago and said, we need to do better at compassion ministry. They created Send Relief. And that's our organization that we're talking mostly about this morning. Send Relief has five functions that are listed right there. Care for refugees is one, crisis response is one. At Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, we do 90% of the crisis response is relief because we have the people and the equipment to go and to do. And you'll have that chance as well. Care for refugees, they're able to send financially to places that uh, we're not allowed to go, things that we're not allowed to be a part of. I know that Bryant Wright shared not too long ago that in Israel itself, as much as they can do, they're not able to do anything in Gaza at this point, but what they're doing in Israel, close to where the war is at, is that they are financially sponsoring bomb shelters where they need medical and they need food and a variety of things that are going on. Uh, And quietly, what's happening is, um, so Ohio Disaster Relief, we are responsible for disaster requests and requests from our missionaries for all of Western Europe. We cover that in addition to Ohio and partnering for the US. That's why we ended up in Poland. We'll talk about it in just a little bit. And Care for Refugees, what they're doing is Texas disaster relief has Israel. We are quietly right now sending volunteers from disaster relief Texas into Israel and they're doing mass care feeding. So, in these bomb shelters where people are congregating, we'll move the weight from the war. And so, we're feeding thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, we don't have the normal equipment that we have. They're trying to fly some of that in uh, on a good day. Uh, here in the States, we, there's one. Uh, North Carolina Disaster Leave has a mobile kitchen called Mano One. It is a beast. You can cook 30,000 meals a day in that unit. Our Ohio unit is a baby unit. We do about 900 meals a day, but we also can do 10,000 with our big unit. Those are kinds of things that we do related to refugee work and what Send Relief does and sending funds and how to be involved. This next slide is just how Send Relief has been involved this year. Just to give you a snapshot, uh, this was as of two weeks ago, uh, what's happening. And by being a part of the cooperative program, we're already a part of this. What we do in this offering will continue to boost what happens here. But these are the projects for this year. Look down where it says 8,388 new believers just this year alone through compassion ministry, through sin relief. That's what we're about. That's what disaster relief is about. That is what sin relief is about. It's about sharing the gospel. In many places, we need to earn the right to be heard and showing up and doing things for people and providing the things that they need. Invariably, they ask, how much are you getting paid to be here? And the answer is nothing. Then why are you here? I'm glad you asked me that question. We share why we're there. There's a lot of discussion about what's happening at the border with Mexico and and what's happening down there. This next thing is not political, but I need you to know there's a little bitty church down there that Send Relief is funding, little church, that have had already this year over 6,000 professions of faith and sharing the gospel and compassion ministry and connecting those people to where they're going or in the country with the local church of where they're going. It's an amazing thing what they're doing. Here in the States, Syria, Turkey, Israel, many, many other places, things are taking place. I wanna go back for just a moment to uh, Ukraine. So when that war started, it obviously created all kinds of displaced people and refugees. And I mean, that's important to us, to our family, Uh, our youngest daughter who's back there, we adopted her from Ukraine when she was four. And so we were very much interested in, in Donetsk, Eastern uh, Ukraine, where the war is going on now. At one point in time, that Donbass had 9 million people. Uh, now they have about 800,000. Just from that one town, they're gone. Refugees in other parts of the world, different places of, of Europe, some uh, IDPs in their own country. So what would happen if 100 people per day knocks at the door and says, we have nowhere to go. Can we stay here? Do it would have to be a decision made? And we're talking about people who are not showing up in cars and vans. We're talking about people walking, walking to another country. There are churches all over Poland and Hungary and other countries in there that have said, okay. So what would we have to do? I, listen, we, under, we have to understand we are a very blessed church to have a kitchen like that. I, I rarely have seen that. any church that have a kitchen like that. That's why we have a mobile kitchen and disaster relief that we can park anywhere, and it's a mobile commercial kitchen. We are very blessed to have that. You got to feed them. They got to sleep somewhere, some kind of mattresses, some kind of They need to eat. They need to sleep. They need to take showers. What about medical care? Uh, Poland was great as a nation. They granted All the folks coming out of Ukraine, immediate medical care for the first 18 months at no cost. We took a doctor and made some assessments for what was happening in refugees, and very few needed medical care. We look at what else would we have to do. Well, there's your kids, and at some point in time, if they're here long enough, they're going to have to go to school. And there's so many things. What about trauma care? How do you help folks? There's one... um, we teach a class on how to do uh, stress management in these types of environments. And so we had a, that class is a 15-hour class. They asked me to teach it in an hour how to manage crisis because what do I do? And here's a sample of what happens with these refugees moms, refugee moms and their kids. They come in into the church. They give them a place, and they, they just sit in the corner on the mattress and basically leave me alone. I just said so we've tried to talk to them, try to give them the food. They just shove us away. I said just let, leave them alone. And they just sit, trying to process what just happened. And eventually they open up. They're able to, um, hey, here's something to eat. We have some stuff for your kids. You know, enable, and over time, they start to learn, can I trust this place? And they all jump in together. They're not there to take, they don't want to be there. And we got to keep that in mind. Refugees, where they go, they don't want to be there, they want to be home. So they jump into where after a few months, we didn't need to send volunteers anymore. They took care of themselves. They want to be prosperous. They want to do what they need to do. And that was the assessment that we did in Poland. Let me show you this picture, and then we'll start to wrap this up. This is one of my favorite pictures of all the refugee stuff we've been a part of. This is a church on the right in Helm, Poland, C-H-E-L-M. It's on the Ukrainian border. I mean, you think we've got traditions or churches have traditions? This church is hundreds of years old. I mean, you take a cup of coffee into that sanctuary, you're going to be excommunicated. All these people showed up, and they said, can we live here? The church leadership team had to make a decision. What are we going to do? And here was the question. What's the most important thing, the pews or the people? Behind this, past, this guy is Ukrainian man. Those are all the pews stacked up. Those pews are like 300 years old. Stacked up in the corner, because the church decided the people are more important than the pews. And let me tell you another secret I didn't know. Our translator told us, she said, you don't know how extraordinary it is that Poland has opened their country to them because there was a very unknown skirmish between Ukraine and Poland, where some Polish folks had died. And there was severe animosity between the two. But when this happened, the Polish people went, come on. God provided in so many different ways of things that can be done. Their refugees have no place to go. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know what's next. But I can promise you it's not about their stuff. And our mission is to share the gospel but we reach out in compassion ministry and whatever they need, whatever we can do, that's what we need to do. But don't be afraid to say that that God loves you. Jesus loves you. And that's why we're here. We don't want anything from you. We're just here to serve. I'm telling you, that is an odd experience because everybody thinks we want something. They think you want something. We don't want anything. Just here to serve. I know Jim's going to come and talk about uh, the ministry no longer strangers, and then we'll finish up.
3: Thanks, Thanks, John. Uh, with us today, I have Janessa Colburn, who's a member of our uh, Mercy Mission or Mercy uh, team. So thank you very much for doing that. But uh, Janessa, I got a couple questions for you if you don't mind. Uh, one, many of the folks here, probably don't know much about No Longer Strangers. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what they do, how they help, that kind of stuff.
4: Yeah, No Longer Strangers is a ministry in Dayton that serves refugees after they've gone through like the 90-day introductory period of being in the States. And then after that, they don't have any more resources like from the government. So No Longer Strangers takes over and, well, they're one of the ministries that does that. And they serve the families. in different ways. One of the ways is we have a King's Kids, which is like a group of Cedarville students that go on Sundays and do kind of an Awana slash like VBS. And then they also do like transportation for different things. Um, They have a soccer ministry that they take kids to. Um, They also do tutoring, which is a way for like, it's kind of an after-school program, which helps the parents be able to work and yeah, it's just—I mean, basically, they're just giving common, like, care and what we don't—we kind of take for granted. But um, it's a way to serve the refugees and uh, show them God's love through practical things. Wow,
3: that's quite a list they're doing there. So, how would you say you've seen God work within this ministry?
4: My favorite thing is—I've been doing King's Kids for five years, and when I first started, there was this little kid Faye, who was like four or five. And he was kind of a troublemaker. He kind of was very sensitive, was like crying in the corner half the time, didn't want to talk to anyone, didn't really care about the Bible lesson. But he's now in fourth grade, and he's like so excited about what he's learning. And last Sunday, he came running up to me after the lesson, and he was telling me all about what they're learning in Mark 4 and 5. And he was like, and someone's going to get me a Bible, and I'm going to read it every day. And it was just like so precious to see how much he loves the lord and how much the like consistent faithfulness <clears throat> and like god's hand has been in his life through the past couple of years
3: i love how that is it's just like john told us before is just to be there with them so um there's a long list of things that you walk through that no longer strangers does so what if someone here would like to get more involved learn a little bit more about it or get involved with no longer strangers what can we do
4: I think our biggest need right now is for tutors, which we have tutoring on Monday and Wednesday nights um, and even if you have no experience with education or tutoring, that's okay they'll train you but they also need people to like help um, we do like a, f- a family dinner style thing so they need like table parents who will just like interact with the kids and have conversations with them. Um, they need help with transportation they need help like just. Chaos control. Um, so, if you want more information about that, I'll be at the mission table out there after the service, and you can come talk to me, and I can get you information for how you can be connected.
3: Well, thanks a lot for sharing with us about no longer strangers. Um, we we realize. I'm sorry.
2: Oh, one thing I was going to mention: how they want to go do to refugee ministry through Send Relief that begins with disaster relief. So that training is here, January 13th. First training of the year. And so you got to have those credentials and because we will get stopped from time to time, but our credentials what gets them in. So more information will be coming.
3: As um, John just mentioned, we will have the training here on the 13th of January, we'll get that out so people can start signing up for that. But um, as Janessa talked about, we have strangers here or we have refugees here in the Dayton area. And there are refugees, the large number that John shared with us. So if you join me in prayer, let's pray for refugees, our our hearts for the refugees as well. So Father God, we just come to you today, Lord. We're so thankful um, first for your love for us. Lord, that you um, love us so deeply and that you desire us to have the same love that you have for others as John mentioned in Matthew 25, you know our love should be as deep for the refugees, and as it shows our hearts for you. So, Lord, we ask that you break our hearts. Lord, we ask that you put on our hearts a desire to know more about the refugees, but Lord, a desire to remember, to pray for them, and if there's ways for us to give whether it's our time and our talents, Lord, as well. But, Father, we're so thankful that um, in the midst of all these things, we desire our brothers and sisters that are in this category that they will remember you also as the God of comfort, the God that calls, Lord, and so much that a God that doesn't forget them. As we sang earlier today, Lord, we're so thankful that you're a a God that's with us in the midst. And so, Lord, we just ask that you be with these refugees, whether they're asylum seekers, whether they're within their own country, Lord, that you allow them to feel the comfort of you, whether it's through them knowing and have a relationship, which we desire each of them to come to know. But, Lord, as the body, how we can take your love to them. So, Lord, we ask that you put on our hearts ways for us to serve, ways for us to give, and ways for us to be your hands and feet for those that are refugees here, near, and everywhere. And so, Lord, we're so thankful that you gave us your son. And it's through his mighty name, of Jesus, we can come boldly to your throne. In his name we pray, amen.